Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. So as we were just discussing before we started this podcast, this is a movie about capitalism. It is very much about capitalism. Even better, it's capitalism in the 1970s. 1974, to be precise, in the movie Killdozer. Yes, continuing our theme of movies about vehicles that are trying to murder, we have Killdozer murdering construction workers in an island off the coast of Africa. But not Madagascar. Apparently not. No. And this movie is strangely based on my own character, Dozer the Dozerian from Dr. Lunatic, which is weird because that didn't come out until 2000 or so. I think it's amusing that you think Dozer the Dozerian is your character when it's very clearly based on Gozer the Gozerian from... Excuse me, parody is a God-given right, and I parodied. You did indeed. I sure did. So what happens in the movie Killdozer? Well, there's a dozer, and it kills. That was the most concise movie description we've had so far. Done. See you next week. We should rate it. So a meteor lands on this mysterious island that I don't think we ever find out the name of. And it glows in a very 1970s way. It does. And... They're going around with their bulldozers and whatnot, working on some project. Do we know what they're building? I... Or tearing down? I mean, I never figured it out, but (laughs) maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to that part. Maybe. They were building some... It's the 70s. They were building a disco. And the guy running the bulldozer tries to go where the meteor is. He doesn't see it. And his bulldozer just apparently just stops cold and cannot move past this this rock, which is not that big of a rock, honestly. But no, it was like the size of a watermelon, maybe. Yeah, it, it just stopped his bulldozer. And so he gets out and he's like, what's going on? And his boss is like, I can do it. And he backs up the bulldozer and tries the exact same thing. Somehow the bulldozer runs into the rock in such a way that the blue transfers from the rock to the bulldozer. As it would, physics-wise. Right. And in the process, it shoots out beams of blue light that are so bright that they burn the first driver, Mac, to a crisp. Yeah, he doesn't live much longer after that. No, they try to take care of him and they're like, they think the boss is responsible for his death because they don't believe there's a glowing blue rock. And they're all also that. mad about how it's being handled. Like they want things to be reported to, you know, like higher, higher ups and whatnot. And there's definitely strife then between the workers and the supervisors. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a union battle. Something like that. So Mac has an opportunity, though, to warn Kelly, the head supervisor. The boss. And we know he's the boss because he wears a hard hat 
at a jaunty angle at all times. Yeah, and there's another guy who wears a jaunty angled hard hat, but he not was, at all times. Well, he was a secondary boss. Yeah. I think he was like the supervisor to the supervisor. The jauntiness no, the indicates. The assistant to the supervisor. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, Mac warns Kelly about the blue light and then dies dramatically. And now Kelly has to decide if he believes the rantings of this deeply in pain and on death's door construction worker. Although he doesn't have any other explanation for why this guy is burned up. He just is. So what does he do? He heads over, hops on the bulldozer and says, I'm just going to give it a little test drive, see what's going on. Indeed. And lo and behold, it's an evil bulldozer. It drives itself, but it does it. By way of actually moving its controls. Yeah. Which on a bulldozer are a lot of like long metal sticks. And so he's kind of getting thwapped by the controls as he sits there. And the pedals down at the bottom are like going up and down and like (laughs) bonking his feet around. And Yeah, it's pretty fun. And it's sort of like trying to buck him off, it seems like. Like it's just driving around in random directions. Yeah, but that's one thing about this movie is, you know, they made it with a real bulldozer. And bulldozers aren't fast, like Mm -hmm. in terms of how they drive around, but also in terms of all their other movements. Like it would lift the blade up and slam it down, but because it's a bulldozer, it would just go... And it's like just so sedate. Yes. Kelly demonstrates why they made him the supervisor, though, during this like mm-hmm. Bucking Bronco bulldozer ride. Because he immediately whips out his pocket knife and cuts the fuel line. He knows. He knows. Which was interesting because later in the movie, there's discussion about that other time. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, very vague, and there were no details in terms of, like, what, whether it was actually something supernatural, but there was something. And, you know, it it was strongly hinted that this was not the first time he has dealt with a haunted construction vehicle. Some kind of incident, yeah. I don't know if it had to be haunted. No, but, like, they're deep in the middle of this, like, alien-infused situation, and... They're talking about, you know, remember the last time. And I'm like, how many of these blue meteorites came down and how many of them have been on construction sites that you personally were overseeing? (laughs) Yeah, you start to wonder. Right? But uh, I think it's, it's set up for the prequel. You think? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that'll be fun because Kelly, the big boss is an alcoholic who no longer drinks and, you know, he's taking care of himself. So in the prequel, he could be a raging alcoholic and be drunk all over the place. Yeah. This is his last opportunity to prove to Warburton Construction that he, you know, deserves to keep his job. And I did like that we were back in the, you know, mid-70s when having a construction company called something like Warburton wasn't too on the nose in terms of, you know, what capitalism is doing to the world. Because I'm pretty sure if you were making a movie that had construction workers in it now, even if that's based on the name of a real construction company, you would not use that name because it's just too cartoonishly evil. Yeah. 
But we wouldn't know how evil this company is because we never encounter anybody except this team of workers because they're waiting. <laughs> because at one point, the bulldozer runs over the radio and crushes it. Yes. And so all they can do is wait for the supply ship to come in a few days. And so we never even see that happen. Yes. It's interesting that cutting the fuel line does stop the evil dozers. So it's like... It's evil and possessed, but it's not like it's magic. It just, it still needs gas to run. So they take it in. They're like, something's wrong with this. Something normal is wrong with this. Let's fix it. Right. Well, and the, there is a guy, like one of the guys who has been on Kelly's team for a long time and is, you know, buddy, buddy with him is the guy who fixes the machines, right? I think that's Chubb. I think so. And so Chubb fixes up the machine like he's want to do and kelly is like okay but don't let anyone drive this one it's dangerous yeah and then the guys who are already mad at supervised you know the like leadership because mac died and you know and they know it's his fault right they're then even more angry when they're told they can't use the big dozer like the dozer that would do the job quickly and easily right yeah so of course one of them being the rebel heads over there and hops on it and starts driving it around and immediately is being attacked so that was beltran who immediately starts having trouble controlling it falls off of it is being chased by (laughs) this bulldozer Mm -hmm. which as you already pointed out doesn't actually move that fast (laughs) but somehow he's being outpaced by it and decides he's going to get away from this multi-megaton vehicle by climbing inside a culvert tube. <laughs> yes, those really thin metal tubes that they use to make storm culverts. Yeah, which it then promptly drives over, squishing him into paste, I assume. We assume, because this is not a graphic movie. <laughs> no, although they did then demonstrate immediately after that that there's a second mound of you know burial mound on the beach because each time someone died they would bury them on the beach and i'm like did they bury the whole tube (laughs) well i mean did they they squeezed him him out of the tube like toothpaste (laughs) yeah and they keep talking about how it you know the, the the head office will come and then they'll send these bodies back to their people and i'm like they're buried in the beach yeah you probably shouldn't have buried them we're gonna i mean ugh, the whole thing was sketchy and questionable and that during the whole time we have dutch who is an, a third construction worker who is just devastated by mac's death like every oh, time right. he's on screen yes. he's talking about how great mac was and how they used to go swimming together and they were you know did this and that and the other thing and all i could think was that if this was a movie made now it would have been because we would have found out that they were like lovers of some kind yeah and then in 1974, that's definitely not what they were trying to do. But also, what were they doing there? <laughs> he was very attached. I mean, you know what, Soli? Don't shame masculine friendship. It is totally fine for someone to love and care for another man in a platonic way. Here's the thing. Absolutely. 100%. But I'm shocked to find that in a a movie from the 70s. I guess I shouldn't be. It's more like the 80s and 90s that would struggle with that. The 70s were maybe still a place where like 
male friendships could be an overt thing. I don't know. The world. Yeah. So Dutch is having a really hard time. The dozer is still out there prowling around because now apparently it has an unlimited amount of fuel now yeah. that its fuel line is fixed. Yeah, it, it just goes. I don't even think it uses fuel anymore. It has become magical. I, I guess. And it's just out there. And then one of my other notes here was that there's so much talking in this movie that has a bulldozer as a main character. <laughs> There was just so much intense conversation about feelings for this bulldozer movie. Yeah, there was all kinds of infighting in Mm. different groups and Mm -hmm. just wondering what they're doing. A a real Joss Whedon people not sharing information situation. Well, there was definitely that. And then just, yeah, everyone was so intense. It almost, in that piece of it, it almost felt like very 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Where you expected it to be in black and white and, and like there's no musical score and it's just <laughs> a room with two people talking at each other. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of that. It's also very 1950s in that there was a meteor that landed and it made a bulldozer evil. True. So True. It, it maybe, was appropriate. I mean, maybe there was some kind of homage thing happening there because Probably. It, it felt too 1950s for 1970 <laughs> to be an accident, right? Yeah. I mean, it was very 50s. And this boss, Kelly, he was just, he was a mean boss. Like, they were trying to, like, have a little wake for their dead buddy, Mac, and they're all drinking and stuff. And he took their alcohol away and was like, stop having fun. Stop (laughs) grieving. Yes. Well, I mean, there was also the whole, like, he's a recovering alcoholic piece Mm -hmm. and a bunch of alcohol on his work site probably wouldn't have helped his I can be trusted to run a work site campaign. Yeah. Well, and that's part of that whole intensity. Like, he came across like an old, like, army general would be played in, like, a movie about the Korean War. (laughs) Yes. And then later... I think it was Dutch, was desperately trying to talk Kelly into drinking. He was like, oh, come on, mm. you know, we're all going to die anyway. Like, he was really pushing it. He, it's like it's like the dynamic between Chief Barney and Father Murder in our previous oh, film, where yeah. he's like, what you did was so great. Like, he, he's just really pushing this alcoholism thing. But Kelly stayed strong and said, no. He did. I mean, that might have came from the fact that Dutch had his own problems with alcohol. Clearly. Because later, he drinks the rest of the bottle of alcohol from the wake and kind of reverts back to like a five-year-old. Where yes. He's like very petulant and angry and tantrumy. And then he's like, I'm going to go swimming. And he like drives off in his jeep and goes to the beach where he's then killed by the bulldozer which is the most amazing scene in the movie because he drives his jeep onto the beach for some reason the engine dies that's unexplained wait did the engine die or did it get stuck in the sand well they probably wanted it to be stuck in the sand but then he's trying to start the engine it's going yeah so i don't know but sand in the carburetor yes it was it was a 
classic case of sand in the carburetor. <laughs> and so he's sitting there in this Jeep trying to get it to start as the bulldozer starts driving towards him. Mm. And it's, I don't know, a minute long scene of the bulldozer coming towards him and him trying to start it. And he stays in the car the entire time until finally the bulldozer gets there and just runs over the car. And, and he just sits there. And he never considers that maybe he should get out. It's like the equivalent of like the movies where teenagers have their car stall on the railroad tracks and then yeah. suddenly a train is coming, <laughs> only it's in slow motion. But they are the same. Like They're like trapped in the vehicle and can't get out. There's not enough time, even <laughs> though he had like time. full minutes. Yeah. And I don't think he was buckled in. Like It was a Jeep. <laughs> like, he could have just fallen out. He could have. But Drunkenly. he didn't. He just sat there, and and as the bulldozer crushed the front of the vehicle, he is sitting there in the middle of the vehicle, patiently waiting to be crushed. <laughs> For the crushing to continue. Yeah, yeah. So weird. I guess he was done. I guess so. Then we have the whole bulldozer versus the steam shovel thing. Or I don't know if it was a steam shovel, yeah. but like, yeah, you know, whatever. what is that? I feel like they referred to it as a digger. Mm, that could be. So we had the dozer versus digger. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we had one of the best digger operators in the known world uh-huh. on this crew. He made sure to let us know. Uh-huh. But... I guess they lost that fight. It was an awkward, slow, weird fight. Where a significant <laughs> portion of it was just that... The digger was stationary and the bulldozer was pushing against it but couldn't move anymore because it wasn't strong enough and it was literally just the two vehicles standing still. There were like two things they accomplished with the digger that seemed like, oh, this is going somewhere. Something's happening. <laughs> like they put got the arm up and used it to knock the top of the... Uh, Exhaust pipe, exhaust pipe mm-hmm. off of the bulldozer, mm-hmm. which had no effect of any kind, which makes sense because, I mean, it's still a hole. There's still exhaust coming out of it. And then it seemed like the whole time what they were trying to do was get the digger under the blade of the bulldozer. And eventually they did, but it didn't accomplish anything. It just ended up making them lose. I think they were trying to maybe like flip it over or something. That's what I thought, but there's no way it would be strong enough to do well, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly that's what happened is they couldn't do the thing, which then makes me wonder, are you the best digger <laughs> operator if you don't fully understand the capabilities I of mean, your digger? He He's good at digging, not at <laughs> robot battles. <laughs> yeah, so that... that Came to a stalemate of kind of of a sort, except that I think the digger did like blow out its something, like it was no longer yeah. functional at some point. Yeah, like a, a a rope broke on the digging arm, so it couldn't move its digging arm anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was incapacitated. So at that point, we have Kelly, the supervisor, and Dennis, the assistant to the supervisor, are having a conversation about. What do you do? And they're like, he's like a serial killer. How do you kill a killer? That's right. And they literally start listing the methods of execution used to deal with human killers. (laughs) They're like, can we give it a lethal injection? No, that's not possible. And fortunately, that brings them to electricity. Mm -hmm. And they come up with a plan to get the dozer to drive over some plate that they're going to electrify. Yeah. 
And lo and behold, the dozer is dead and the blue glow goes away. Yeah. Which, Boom. Good job, guys. I guess they were right about that. I mean, yeah. I feel like maybe they should have had that conversation several days earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Several days and several crew deaths earlier. <laughs> they didn't bother to sit down and like really problem solve it until all of the blue collar workers were dead. Yes. At least they had the best digger operator in the world still. Ugh. So then the movie ends. Okay, I have a note that just says hard hat freeze frame. And I can't remember if it's because there was a hard hat freeze frame oh. or because I wanted there to be no, a hard No, I think hat there was. Frame. I think he threw it up in the air and it freeze framed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how you end a movie. Obviously. For sure. Success! That's Killdozer. It sure is. I don't know. Um, there were a couple of interesting things, like, interesting in the, like, that was funny, I'll remember it because it it was so ridiculous kind of way. Yeah. One of them was when the bulldozer was driving around in the camp, like, just... Just came in and just like it just trashed actively it. was trashing the camp just because like it was just mad and was like I'm gonna ruin all this stuff yeah because then then you guys will be harder off than you are now yeah and it bumped a a like big I think it was like a big drum of fuel maybe yeah and it like tapped it with the corner of its blade. And the whole thing exploded like a bomb. Yeah, well, like it does. And that was entertaining. Because <laughs> then later they were like trying to build a, a fire out of, you know, some kindling. And they're like, this will stop it. Yeah, that was the weirdest. I have no idea what they're, if it was supposed to be a distraction or something. It was just a, a fire made out of some kindling. And the bulldozer like drove up to it and scooped some dirt onto it and kept going. Yes. It was tiny. There, it was in no way equivalent to the fire they had already seen it survive. Yes, caused so, by itself. Yes, yes. So that was the first place where the bulldozer like wasn't just murderous. It had like this crankiness to it. Oh yeah, it's a cranky bulldozer for sure. And then later, it's up on top of a cliff, and it's just dumping loads of rocks down the cliff on them <laughs> yeah just because like it's not doing anything it's just making their lives a little more difficult yeah by, they were by... trying to bury one of their many victims and it was yeah. just like i'm dumping rocks on you yeah <laughs> yeah it was just a very petty petty bulldozer yeah i mean that's the thing is when you have these monsters you know from outer space and we know nothing about their motivations or anything you always assume that they're like just out to kill everyone or something like that and no i think this one was just there to make people unhappy yeah honestly in the grand scheme of things this bulldozer wasn't that dangerous <laughs> not really because it was on an island yeah that had like Eight people who weren't even supposed to be there anyway. They were just there for construction purposes. And I thought Dutch's obsession with swimming was going to reveal at some point, hey, let's get in the water and not oh. be on this island anymore. Because he couldn't get in the water. It's too bad they didn't have a boat. Yeah. But I mean, they could have used all their fancy drums and stuff and made something that floats. It's possible. Yeah, they were not... <sighs> They didn't involve the information they knew in their decision-making processes. Yeah. Yeah. 
In terms of a 1950s, 60s, 70s environmental horror, alien-influenced environmental kind of protection thing, this this wasn't terrible. I mean, it was an interesting premise. It was interesting that they were on such in such an isolated place with a limited number of people and a very lim- limited number of resources, especially after the bulldozer destroyed their camp. Yeah. Like the setup was was fairly well done. The problem is that it felt like none of the human beings involved were putting any effort into solving the problem. <laughs> sure. Like, I don't know. They just didn't seem focused on the issue at hand. Well, for a long time, the boss, who was the only one who knew anything was going on, it kept insisting nothing was going on and refused to acknowledge it. Yes. So, I don't know. Like, it's a weird balance of, like, there's a certain kind of cheesy B environmental movie that this does fairly well. But then it's, you know, 40 plus years later, storytelling has evolved. Everything about the world has evolved. And so this movie that would have been, like, mediocre in the 70s... It didn't age very well, is I think what I'm trying to say. And it just didn't, there wasn't enough to it to really feel strongly one way or the other, I don't think. I will add that if you really wanted to dig in and like try to try to write with the digger, really get in there and, and make some connections in terms of like, you know, how you started at the beginning with capitalism and Mm -hmm. you know workers rights and there's there's stuff there but even that was done in this kind of milk toast way where they didn't really take a stand because as much as you had the workers doing their thing the hero of the movie is the boss the boss and the only ones who survive basically are the bosses yeah for sure i don't know like maybe Maybe what they were saying wasn't meant to make, like, worker solidarity happen at all. It was just supposed to show how, you know, useless and whiny construction yeah, workers are. I don't know. kind of what they portrayed. But I don't know. There, there's something there where if you really wanted to dig in and put some connections together, you could. But it was weak. And so I guess I am going to end up giving Killdozer two expressive sets of headlights out of five. All right. What's fun about this movie is that it's horror for 10-year-olds. Because yes. you get to see all the big trucks do all their big truck things. Horror for six-year-olds. Like, there was <laughs> yeah. nothing really all that. I mean, I guess someone got burned, but... Well, I mean, you could have nightmares about a truck coming up on the hill, jumping rocks on you. It's true. Who knows? That's scary. But... You know, it's just it's so exciting to see the trucks do their thing, and especially when it came down to the digger versus bulldozer mm-hmm. fight. It was like, ooh, let's see all the big trucks do their thing. That was it. Really felt aimed at ten year olds, mm-hmm. but those poor ten year olds are going to have to sit through a whole lot of melodrama and emotions. Yes, I think it is interesting to compare this movie to our previous film, Motorboat. And note that this is kind of what legitimate 
B-movie looks like. The budget for this movie, even if you don't adjust for inflation, is a thousand times what they spent on Motorboat. Yes. They they had like actual actors and yes. set designers and yeah. And so like even when the acting was bad in this, it was like, oh, that's what an actor doing bad acting looks like mm-hmm. compared to just somebody who's really intentionally doing bad acting. It's terrible. <laughs> so it was a huge step up in terms of quality, which is crazy because this is from the 70s, which is the bottom of the quality pit. You've got to dig your digger so deep to get to 70s (laughs) quality. But yeah, this was huge improvement just as a a general movie going experience. But it was, I don't know, kind of boring. Like the whole idea that this bulldozer was such a threat when it was so slow and goofy was not exactly compelling cinema. So it was a pretty dumb movie. It's not bad enough to be fun bad Mm -hmm. and it's definitely not good enough to be fun good Mm -hmm. so it's fine i'm gonna give it the same thing i gave motorboat two and a half expressive sets of headlights out of five because it's it's there it could entertain you if you need it to but not not much in fact i think motorboat is a more fun movie although it only really picks up towards the end yeah i think you might be right just because i don't know this movie was taking itself seriously, I Very think. Very seriously. And Motorboat definitely was not. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I uh, we haven't mentioned yet, because it wasn't the movie per se, but I did feel like the fact that while we were watching this movie that had undertones of, you know, workers' rights and the conflict between employers and employees and that sort of thing, uh, while we were watching this movie... On Plex, it was interrupted frequently with commercials. Oh, that's right. Almost all of which were Amazon commercials that could basically be summarized as, no, really, you guys, we are treating our employees okay. Please come work for us. Like, we'll give you health insurance or we'll let you go home and see your family. There is something gravely dystopian about commercials for working at a company. Yes. Not for a product that a company sells. Yes. Like, we're at the point now where we're the product and they want to buy us. Yes. That is exactly what it felt like. And the whole thing, like, as much as they were trying to have, like, actual employees saying mm-hmm. nice things about how fun it was to work at Amazon, it really, like... You could not avoid seeing that undertone of I'm being told I have to do this. I have yeah. I have been given a script that I am supposed to say <laughs> or even that kind of stink of desperation from the company Absolutely. where they're like no for real you guys we won't make you pee in bottles anymore. <laughs> yeah. It was totally. uh, it was something. It was very much something. Fight the horror of a world gone mad. Which brings me, I don't know if this is going to be something I bring back on a weekly basis, but it does bring me, since we are in the second week of October, to a hot political tip segment that hasn't been around for months now. It hasn't been. My hot political tip is, in just a few short weeks there will be a constitutional amendments election here in Texas. On November 7th, 
We are voting here in Texas on 14 different constitutional amendments. That's a lot. It's a lot. And constitutional amendments aren't fun and easy to read, and they don't make like captivating commercials for them. Like they don't buy ads like they do for campaigns where they trash each other's opponents and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So there's not really a lot of interest in it. I would just like to encourage everyone to go vote because these are the rules that govern our state. And if you're not in Texas, there is an election day, a national election day on November 7th. I strongly, strongly suggest that you do a little bit of research and find out what is going to be on your ballot. If you Google what's on my ballot, you will find a number of resources that that share that information. Um, Ballotpedia often has information like that. Vote411.org is a website that was created by the League of Women Voters that has a lot of voter information. I know that the Texas, you know, for for Texas, they will be creating and probably already have created by the time you hear this, a voter guide on the 14 amendments about, you know, basically what they do. So you should know about those things. You should vote about those things because it all boils down to how our, our country and our states are governed and how they work. And here's a key voting tip. Don't just look at the name of the amendment. Find out what people are saying it does and also who's saying what. Yes. Because the name is always a lie. Almost always, yes. They, they are named intentionally to try to get people to vote one way or the other by the people who are in charge. So make sure that you know what the deal is. Yeah, that's my tip. Pay attention. Election day is coming right around the corner and uh, it's worth it to spend a few minutes doing some research. That's not the only thing coming right around the corner because some sort of possessed vehicle is also (gasps) coming around the corner. I can't wait to see what vehicle we are trying to avoid next week. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye. What are you printing? Oh no, what if a meteor has gotten to our printer? Legitimately, it's printing something. It's not just printing. Why did it just print it now? Are we about to be part of a movie about a haunted printer? (laughs) Why? I think when I tried to print it the other day and it didn't work, I don't know. Uh, it, I don't know. Meteors. Okay. What was I saying? <laughs>